yeah, this is a, this is a big week and in God's providence, in case you're new here and um, haven't been here in a while, um, Pastor Matt moved to Monte Vista and took on a ministry there where he is, he and Betsy and their family are replanting a church there. And last week we had a vote where um, all of you voted to uh, have me as your your next pastor, which I have to tell you I'm really excited and humbled about. I'm really humbled. It's a, you know, you think you're ready for something, and then it happens, and you wonder if you really are. And uh, but God is the one who makes us ready. I. I am his servant, and I will be his servant here for as long as he wants me to be, and not a moment longer. And that awesome, that really, really gives me um, actually a, a great feeling of, of uh, joy. And uh, it's in his providence, and it's amazing to think that we are here now in, in the book of Acts, starting in chapter 2, right here at the very beginning on the day of Pentecost. Um, at the beginning of a new thing that God is doing here at Calvary La Junta. Now, I've been here for three years now and going on four, so it's not like I'm brand new, but we do have a change in leadership, and, and that is a big thing. And so this is exciting for me to bring this message to you. Unfortunately, I have a cold, and uh, so I'm going to do my best to not cough, but I can't promise anything. We'll just leave it up to the Spirit of God to see what He will do. But anyway, thank you so much for being here this morning. I love all of you dearly and pray for you. And uh, I can't wait to see what God does through our church as we go forward. Our goal is to reach La Junta with the gospel of Christ. And if that isn't our goal, then we need to rethink our goal. But our vision is to make La Junta on fire for Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so, to start out, everyone has their favorite gift that they have been given at one time in their lives. I'm sure you've heard this introduction a million times in sermons, but it'll make sense as we go here, you'll see. For some of you, that might be, you know, for you, if you've been gifted this way, it could be the gift of parenthood. Some of you more spiritual folks here today might say that the gift of your salvation is the greatest gift that you've ever been given. God's grace through Jesus' work on the cross. I mean, how could that not be the greatest gift you've been given? Some might say that they, they got their first bicycle and gained some freedom from their parents, or maybe it was your first car. Some might even say that their spouse was their greatest gift. Some might say their spouse was actually a curse. And if that's the case, then we need to have a talk, okay? My favorite materialistic gift was when my parents gave me my first stereo at Christmas. I know, when I was in seventh or eighth grade. I'm telling you, it was, it was the most amazing piece of electronic equipment I've ever had. It had a turntable, it had an AM, FM radio, and it had an eight-track tape player. Yeah. I'm that old. But I would go downstairs to my room, and I would drift away to music for hours at a time. I wasn't a believer at, a time, at that time, but as a young preteen, 
or a pre-high school going into those adolescent years, I was dealing with a lot of things in my life. So it was my escape from reality. And when I would go down and listen to my music, all my problems would just disappear for hours. You know, it was the old Dobie Gray song, if, if you know this song, he said, he said, I just want to get lost in your rock and roll and just drift away. And that was, that was kind of the theme of my life without really even knowing that was my theme. That's what I would do. I would lay in my bed. My mom hated my music, so I would have to put on headphones, and I'd crank it up to 10, which is the farthest it would go, and blow my eardrums out, which is why I can't hear very well now. And I would just lay there in bed and just drift away to the music. But to bring us back home, as we have been studying Acts for the last several weeks, there's even a greater gift that was coming. The gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that is so remarkable and so empowering that Jesus told his disciples that it was better for him to leave them so he could send the Spirit. Think about how profound that statement is that Jesus said, it is better for me to leave so I could send you the Holy Spirit. That is how great a gift it is. And this is what Jesus said exactly in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for, I do not, for if I do not go away, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is to our advantage that Jesus were to go away, that he would ascend to his throne so he could send us the Helper, the Holy Spirit, who provides us the ability to read and understand Scripture, to do the tasks that God has assigned us to do to help advance his kingdom. He empowers us. He gives us authority and strength, not our own authority, but the authority of God. He dwells in us. Do you realize how much God must love us that he wants to put a piece of him inside of each of us forever as believers? It's an amazing, profound thing to think about that as believers, God lives in you. This is the mystery that Paul talked about. Christ in you. If you have never comprehended what that means and you've taken for granted that the Spirit lives in you, now is the time to really think about how profound that is and how wonderful that is. God lives in everyone who puts their faith and trust in Him. It prepares us in 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5, he who has prepared for us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. The Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians, seals us to God. It is a guarantee of our salvation when the Spirit lives in you. And He will never leave you. Luke records Jesus' promise to send the Spirit in Luke 24, 19. Jesus says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Remember? We read that in Acts 1-4 as well. Jesus said, 
Stay in Jerusalem and wait until the fulfillment of the promise. I promised I was going to send the Spirit, and I am going to send the Spirit. And today we're going to talk about when He did that very thing. Deuteronomy 7.9 describes God Himself as a promise keeper. I want you to understand, listen to what He said to the nation of Israel in Deuteronomy. And through all of their disobedience, all of the things that they did wrong, and then all the things that we have done wrong. God is faithful. Great is thy faithfulness. O God, my Father, says this, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. God is a, has steadfast love. And he keeps his promises and his covenants. Knowing this about God should bring us great joy. It should give us great hope. You should be encouraged, the word that we heard so much last week, right, from Jeff. We should be encouraged by this. God wants us to be encouraged by this. Jesus promised to send the Holy Spirit as our helper our counselor, our healer, our teacher, to open our minds to the things of God, to enable us to do great things for Him and His glory. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? Doesn't that get you excited? Doesn't it make us just want to stop now and go outside and find everyone we can find and just share the gospel with them and say, I got this thing that God has done for me, and you need to hear it. And here's the cool thing. If you believe it and you put your faith in it, God will live in you forever. Who would not want that? Now, of course, we know that there are some people who won't. But this is our message that we are to give. So the passage that we're looking at today is Acts 2, 1 through 13. This passage is the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit. It is the beginning of the church, the ecclesia in the New Testament has been translated to church many times. It's the assembly, the gathering of God's called out people to worship Him and give Him praise. The whole reason we're here, we are part of the ecclesia, the called out ones, the gathering of God's people. That should just like bring humility to all of us. God called you to be here, and so you are. It's not, it's not a dishonor to be in La Junta. It is an honor by God to be called to be here, or Los Animas, or anywhere in the valley. We are here to worship him and give him praise. So let's read the passage together, and then we'll pray, and then we'll start digging into it. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 in the book of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. It divided tongues um, as, of, excuse me, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling 
in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of, each of us in his own native language? Parthians, and the Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we come, Lord, humble this morning. Humble to hear the story of you keeping your promise, the great promise of your Holy Spirit, Lord. This day of Pentecost, when you came and began the church by placing your spirit in the first 120 believers, Lord. And this was this the beginning. This was not the end. And we are grateful, Lord, to be able to stand here this morning and hear your word and how this happened. Wishing that, in some ways, that we could have been there to see it. And yet, the fact that we get to experience it because your promise was not just for them, but for all of us who have placed our faith and trust in you, you place your spirit in us. Father God, I pray that as we read and study this passage, that your words would open up our hearts and minds to what it is that you would do through us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 1 it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And this is a significant thing to think about. Don't pass this over when you read through it. It's important to note that they were all together in one place. Pentecost was a celebration known as the Feast of Weeks. And you can read about it in Exodus 34.22 and in Leviticus 23, 15 through 21. Leviticus 23, 15 through 21 is where you'll find the longest description of what the Feast of Weeks was. It was a very popular feast among the Jews. It was a celebration to commemorate God's provision during the harvest time. No ordinary work for them was to be done. It was a celebration of eating and worshiping. And the reason why this is important to think about is that we go through the chapter 2 in the book of Acts, was this was God bringing the people that he wanted to hear Peter's first sermon, which we'll read about next week, together to Jerusalem for this moment in time when the Spirit came. So it's important that all 120 believers in Jesus were present, including all of the 12 apostles. The church as a whole at that time was gathered together. And I hear some people say that, you know, the church isn't necessary for my faith. That I can have a relationship with God online. That I don't believe in organized religion 
so I don't need to come to church. Brothers and sisters here this morning, and maybe those of you who might be listening online, please hear me on this. It doesn't matter whether or not you think the church is relevant to you or not, just to be honest. But it does matter to God because it's relevant to Him. And let me say this, just, I want to be nice in the sermon, but hear this, okay? God's church is His people. He calls them together. And God is, is, a, is a God who loves relationships. We think of that all through the Old Testament. We see Him moving with the nation of Israel in the tabernacle. He wanted to dwell among His people. We'll see that in the book of Revelation, that we will be living with the Lord in the new heaven and the new earth. So, if you say you are a Christian, but you don't like to be around His people, or Him in that, in that manner, then guess what? You might not like heaven very much. Because when you read Revelation chapter 7, you're going to hear about the great multitude, the largest megachurch in history. And we're all a part of it, gathered together in worship and praise of our God. Let me just go one step further. If you say you're a Christian and you don't like church, you don't think it's important, then you don't put a very big premium on God's word. You are making it about you and not about him. And so I would take a look in the mirror, or I'd get on my knees really, and ask God, where is my faith? Because church is important. So it was important that they were gathered together because it is now 50 days, exactly. It's not 51, it's not 52, it's not 49, it's not 48. It is 50 days exactly from the Last Supper, the night that Jesus was arrested. 50 days from Passover. The time of waiting now and preparation has passed. And as we saw in Acts 1-4, Jesus told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Spirit to be fulfilled. Because a great disturbance was about to enter into the room. Now, my daughter Casey and her husband Cody, they have a little black Chawini. It's a little dog about this big. He's the cutest thing in the world. His name is Yoda. And we call him the great disturbance. Because when he enters into the room, all peace is over with, and it becomes all about him, and you can feel his presence. Now, that is not a real good description about what we're about to see. But such as it was for the gathered believers here in Jerusalem, their world was about to be disrupted by the greatest disturbance in history, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's look at Acts 2, 2 through 4, and see how the great moment happened and how God describes it through Luke. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I love this quote 
well, semi-quote, paraphrase of what theologian Joel Beek reminds us of. This is the first known act of Jesus when he was on the throne, the right hand of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church. Now, he might have done other things and weren't recorded in the Bible, but this is the first recorded event, Jesus sending the Holy Spirit from the throne of God, just as he said he would, because God is a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. He makes a promise. You can count on it. It will happen. As we look through this, we can see five unique things in these verses regarding the coming of the Spirit. The first one is that the coming of the Spirit, it was sudden. Even though they knew that it was going to come, they didn't know exactly when it was going to come, although they should have known, maybe. But it was sudden, because the word says suddenly. Sudden. One moment they were sitting around, talking, praying, who knows what else they were doing. And suddenly, their world changed. It was sudden. The coming of the Spirit, the second thing is the coming of the Spirit was audible. It was audible. It came like the sound of a rushing wind. A sound that is so loud that we can't even hardly describe it. Luke says it was like a rushing wind because it was so loud, and yet there really wasn't a wind. It was just the sound of the wind. And I don't know if you've ever been in a tornado before, and I, I hope you haven't. But if you have, I've been in one. And when they say that it sounds like a freight train, it does. It sounds like a freight train. It's frightening. It's loud. It's quick. But it's loud. And, uh, and that's what this was like. It was loud. God made his presence felt. They knew something was up. This was not a normal thing. Three, the coming of the Spirit filled the room and all the gathered believers there. Can you imagine? It came in all 120, suddenly, with a loud sound of a rushing wind, came and it filled the room. So you know when you go sometimes or you're around the Lord and you feel really close to Him, you can feel Him, right? You can feel Him and He fills you. And it filled this room. Like, believe it or not, the Spirit of God is here. It's interesting sometimes when you hear people and they'll come to church, and they'll leave, and you'll ask them, why did you decide not to come to our church anymore? And I didn't, I didn't feel the Spirit there. You know, the wonder of that is, is, well, then are you a believer? Because the Spirit would be in you if you were a believer, and you would certainly feel Him. Because I assure you this morning, the Spirit of God is here. And He has filled this room. Because I'm here, and I'm a believer. And I, I know that, and that's not being arrogant, because if Dennis is here, he's a believer, and all of you who are believers, you carry the Spirit with you, so this room is filled with the Holy Spirit, just like that room was. Fourth, the coming of the Spirit 
was visual. It was visual. It came like divided tongues of fire. Imagine what that must have looked like. Again, Luke is trying to describe the indescribable. It was, it was as, as divided tongues of fire. And they came and they rested on the people. It's amazing to think about that. Can you imagine being there? Imagine being there. I mean, I would have loved to have been there and see that. Little tongues of fire. And we don't know how big they were. They could have been giant tongues of fire. I always picture them to be kind of like knee-high. I don't know why. But, but they came and they were on fire, these divided tongues. The fifth thing is, is that the coming of the Spirit gave each believer a divine ability. And their divine ability was to speak in languages that they had not ever been trained to speak in. They were Galileans. Later, you know, we know that some of these were uneducated men. And now all of a sudden they were speaking fluent Cretan. Or what other languages that they came into, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them all. But they were able to speak them clearly as though they had spoke them their entire life. It is amazing to think. We think of the Bible and we see that the presence of God is described a lot of times in the Bible as fire. The burning bush in Exodus 3, verses 2 through 5. The Lord's presence was known to Israel during the Exodus. Remember, He was there with them and during the day He was a pillar of smoke and at night He was a pillar of fire. In Exodus 40, 38, you can read about that. And then in Exodus 19, 18 and 24, 17, it describes the Lord descending on Mount Sinai in a fire. Here's what 19.18 says. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. This event that we're looking at here, this coming of the Holy Spirit, it was a unique and supernatural event that would never happen like this again. This was one time. And it had to be like in seconds that it happened. The Spirit filled them. The New Living Translation records verse 4 this way. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them ability. We have to, under, we have to understand exactly what was happening here. They were not gifted with the ability to speak in a tongue that has been referred to as, as some as a special prayer language or an utterance. That's not the case here. They were gifted with the ability to speak languages that they were not able to speak before. The Greek word for glossa literally can mean the tongue, your tongue, or it can mean a language or a dialect. In this case, we know that they were given the distinct ability to speak in a way that they, others around them, the multitude, could understand. This was a miraculous gift that the Holy Spirit made available to them so that they could have an impact on God's kingdom. 
in the next couple weeks as we get through Peter's sermon and we see what happens, we see that this is needed because they needed tools in order to be able to reach the 3,000 that were to come here shortly. These aren't tools that you can buy at Big R or at Walmart. It's not a weed eater. These are gifts that only God can provide for us supernaturally through the Holy Spirit. It's an important truth that we need to remember this as well, and we talked about this in Sunday school, that Christ has done all the work that was needed for the people to be saved. We can't save anyone. And I know we know that, but sometimes when we go out and we share the gospel with others, we tend to think that it's on us. That if we utter one wrong word, that that person is going to go to hell and that's going to be on us. It is not on you. It is not on me. Only God can save. Jesus did the work on the cross. He shed his blood for our sins so that we could be forgiven. He died and fully took all the wrath of his father required for the payment of our sins. It was Jesus who was resurrected three days later and is now at this father, at, his, at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us from his throne. The work is done. What the disciples were called to do and what we we're called to do is to share this good news with the people. God saves and we don't. And you and I, by the power of the Spirit, have been gifted just like these 120 were gifted. This is the thing about this story, is that this is the beginning. It is not the end. The story continues through us. We are a part of church history. Calvary Lahunta and its story, and here's what's interesting. Here's, here's something that's interesting to me this week and how God worked this out. I was in the office, and I was going through some things, and I opened up a cabinet, and I found a box. And in that box were annual reports from First Baptist Church that go all the way back to the 50s. And so I, I, which is what this church was before it was Calvary. And yeah, we're not First Baptist anymore, but I appreciate the history of this church and this building being in this community for over 100 years. It's important. And as I was looking, and I was looking back at those things, and I was seeing familiar faces like Theva and, and uh, others in our church. And I was amazed. It was, my heart was filled with great joy that I get to be a part of the history of this church by God's grace. And we are a part of a greater history of the Ecclesia because of God's grace. So the question to us then is, do we really believe that God wants to use us like he used these 120 believers here at Pentecost, that he has filled us with the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that he has given us the power and authority to take his message of hope out into the streets and to share that with others. It is my prayer that this church would have at least 100 people within the next six months to a year. That these pews would be filled with people. Now it's not 
that's, I'm not holding God to the fire, but I am going to pray a big prayer. And, and here's the thing. I am not praying that, that we would steal a bunch of people from other people's churches that are preaching the Bible. I want at least 75% of those. Now, some people we could use here in our church to fill some needs, but I pray that it would be at least 75% of new people who come into our church and stay would be people who are not yet a part of God's family. That we would have baptisms. That we would have new believers classes. That we would see God's kingdom grow organically through the power of the Holy Spirit and through your gifting. This is my vision and my dream that I am praying to the Lord for, and I ask you to join with me in that. Sometimes it's hard to believe that God wants to use us in that way. You know, does he, does he really need us? And I'm going to say no, he doesn't really need you. But here is the great thing. He wants you. He chose you. Does that not mean more? God created you by his own hands to be used by him. He sent his son to die for you so that you would be his child by placing your faith and trust in him. And here even greater, he is placing his Holy Spirit in you because he loves you. And he wants to be in community with you forever. He wants you to have power. He wants to use you. These next eight verses that we're going to look at, they're going to go fairly quickly. But the people, the hearers, were amazed by what it was that they were hearing. Acts 2, 5-13. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Are not all these who are? Are, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, Cappadocia, and I'll, I'll just skip through for the sake of time and to go through those. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? And others said they were filled with wine. Mocking said we're filled with wine. And when I read these verses, every time I read these verses, I'm always astonished by what is happening here. As we said, we would give anything to have been there. But that's not what God's will was for us. But it was for those 120 now imagine this multitude of people, again, gathered for the Pentecost feast, the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the First Fruits. All of them, and they hear this tremendous sound, and they all gather to hear, what could that be? 
And then when they got there, they began to hear, as verse 11 puts it, the great things of God in their own language. Maybe for the very first time. And they were bewildered and confused because, again, these were Galileans who were not trained in language study. They weren't multilingual, most of them. But now, all of a sudden, they're speaking fluently in their own language. And they're hearing it perfectly. Now, some scholars would say that it wasn't because of the disciples who were speaking in foreign languages, but it was that the multitude that were hearing God's mighty works in their own languages, that it was the miracles in the hearing and not in the speaking. But that can't be. Because when we look closer at the passage, we can see that that's not true. Let's look at verse 4 again. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit gave them this ability. See, it was the speakers who were able to speak the 120. And there's a reason why this is important. We'll get to that in just a second. It's clear that the disciples were the ones who were doing speaking. Now, again, let's look at verses 6 to 8 again. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So, we can see here in these sets of verses that it was the 120 who were speaking in foreign languages. Now, why is this important? Because the Spirit at this particular time, at this moment, had only filled the 120. They didn't fill the multitude yet. We haven't gotten there. They were not yet believers. They were not yet Christians. In order to be filled and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, you must be a Christian. You must surrender to Jesus, turn and repent of your sins and believe that He was raised from the dead. Then you become a new creation. Then the Spirit allows you to be reborn in the image of Jesus and then He indwells you. And all of this happens like that. At, the, at this particular point in time, only 120 had done that. Do you see that? Can you see how this is? The miracle was that the Holy Spirit had gifted the 120, not the hearers. The hearers were the beneficiary. That's why God gave them that ability, so they could hear it. This is why God gifts us. He gifts us for the benefit of those He has called and wants us to help reach, to participate in this. Being a part of God's kingdom, being a part of His work, is not supposed to be a burden. It's not a have to. It's a get to. We get to participate with God. And I'm going to tell you, there are times when you know you're preaching and you're supposed to do this every week or most weeks, and there are times, you know, Dennis and others who have been a part of this can attest to it. It's harder than other weeks to come up with a message. But God is the one who gifts us to come up here 
and speak and have the privilege to share with you on Sundays his word. And just as they were, they were called to share the good news and speak in miraculous tongues. And it wasn't just for the Jews. There were Jewish converts, the Arabs and the Cretans. Everyone was hearing them. Now verse 13, it gives us the antithesis of those who were amazed. They were the mockers. And there's always going to be mockers, right? There's always going to be those that doesn't matter how completely obvious God might be to them, they are not going to believe it. And here's another reason why this is an important thing to notice. Because it's not just a supernatural act of God himself that will move someone to place their faith in him. If it were, then everybody would be, wouldn't they? But it's not that. It takes a movement of the Spirit in a person's life. A drawing of that person to the Lord, as Jesus said in John 6.44, that no one comes to the Father unless the Father draws them near. It is a calling of God. Faith is a gift given to us by the Lord. The faith we need to believe. In this passage, the mockers, they're in the minority. We're in the minority. But we'll see what happens over the next few weeks. But as we close today, I want us to remember these things. Because this story isn't finished. But for today, it is. But we're going to see what this day meant as we go forward in the next few weeks. And it's exciting. Feel free to read ahead. I'm sure you've already read this before in the past. But if this is new to you and you haven't, read ahead. Find out what happens after the Spirit came to these 120. Starting in verse 14. But remember these things about this passage today for this week. First thing is that God has kept His promise to send His Holy Spirit to us. And everyone who trusts Christ is indwelled with the power of the Spirit. Second, the Holy Spirit provides us with everything we need to, call, or to perform the, the purpose, the calling that God has on our life. He provides us all we need. Third thing is, is the Spirit provides the faith we need to respond to God's call in our lives in order to be saved. This moment in time that we have looked at this morning is the beginning of the church, the ecclesia as we talked about, the assembly of God's people. And as we talked about, it is the beginning. It is not the end. We are part of God's history. And that's humbling to think about. As I said a few weeks ago, when we think of this, and we know that for those of us who lived through the COVID thing as church leaders, they're going to be talking about this for hundreds of years. How did we deal with We still talk about how the church dealt with the Spanish flu in the early 1900s. So they're going to be talking about us for a long time. So the question for us as individuals is as a church today is how big is our God? How big is he? Is he big enough to allow us to be used for his great purpose? 
the question that we are left with at the end of verse 13 is, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this gift of the Spirit in your life mean? What does God want you to do for Him in His great glory? Are you praying and asking Him that question? Are you asking Him, what is your will for my life? What is it that you want me to do for you? And are you willing to obey Him no matter what it is that He calls you to? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God Almighty, we just thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, Lord, for this great word, Lord, this great hope that we have, this great truth of the coming of the Spirit. It is so awesome, Lord, for us to know that this was the beginning and we get to participate with you going forward. Lord, thank you for the story of the Holy Spirit coming, this day of Pentecost. I pray, God, that as we think about our lives, Lord, that we would recognize that you live in us. Your Spirit lives in each of us who have placed our faith and trust in you. And that is no small thing. You want to commune with us in that way. You want to give us the abilities to do the things that you've called us to, to reach out your assembly of people that are out there who don't yet know you but will father god i pray that we would be strong enough in our faith to allow you to work through us to trust you to love you to be obedient to you because we want to not because we have to father if there is someone here this morning who has never given their life over to you I pray, God, that today would be the day that they would do so. And that you would fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit today. And their lives would be changed forever. We lift this up to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.